Welcome to the New England Take and WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kierset. Be sure to check out New England Take on Facebook and Twitter, as well as the New England Take on all your favorite social media platforms, including uh, podcast platforms, I'm sorry, uh, including Spotify, Google, Apple, the whole nine yards. Subscribe, it greatly helps uh, get the show out there and review if you've listened to some episodes. Today I'm joined by Beth Slepian. She's the president and CEO of Granite VNA to talk about uh, what the industry is looking like with home health care as well as the rest of what uh, this awesome company does in the state. Welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So let's uh, start off with uh, what is Granite VNA? What, what's the work you do over there? So Granite VNA um, actually came into existence on April 1st, 2021, um, as a merger of two really long-standing VNAs in the Capital and Lakes region. So it was Conquer Regional VNA, which served the Capital Region and Central New Hampshire VNA and Hospice, who served the Lakes region. So we merged um, about 14 months ago to form Granite VNA, um, which is the largest VNA uh, home health and hospice organization in the state. We are a not-for-profit uh, and we operate a hospice house. Um, so we're a Medicare certified agency. We also uh, accept uh, insurance and we have a wide variety of programs. We serve 82 towns from um, you know Bedford all the way um, to Tamworth and from Middleton to Washington. So we cover a wide variety. Our staff uh, drive about 1.4 million miles a year to serve our community. And we provide services from birth all the way to end of life. So babies, uh, we do um, babies uh, first homecoming visits with new mothers. We provide um, some grant uh, covered services in the North country to help parents become uh, better parents uh, and teach them some life skills with their kids. We do children, we do adolescents, we do um, all ages. So it can be patients who have had a joint replacement or a chronic illness. We certainly saw a lot of COVID patients, um, so they can be recovering from surgery and acute medical illness. And then we also provide hospice care. Um, so that is end of life care, both in the community and in the hospice house. And, and what's really important is uh, we provide service where people live. So it can also be an assisted living facility, an independent living facility, and hospice is provided um, also in nursing homes where some people are. Um, we also have a really large um, community benefit program where we provide, you know, free um, uh, health education, uh, fall risk reduction, uh, chronic illness management, and a lot of other services. Over $6 million a year we invest in the community and our community benefit programming. Um, and then we have personal home services, which is private duty. So basically, if you need healthcare in the home, you guys are associated with it in one way or another. And yep. obviously, I'm assuming COVID must have had a tremendous impact on uh, the needs that uh, of of the patients that you deal with and families that are obviously involved with it. Uh, was this? Uh, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but but what did this merger do to the situate landscape of uh, visiting nurses association in the state? In the state, so. Um Prior to the merger, uh, Concord Regional VNA, uh, we both organizations served about 42 towns. Um, but if you look at the Lakes region, there's a big lake in the middle. So um, they uh, covered a wide variety. Central New Hampshire VNA and Hospice covered a wide territory, but they were a smaller organization. So we merged because we felt that by coming together, we could provide more specialty services um, to a larger 
breadth of the population that we could really leverage our size to do more community benefits. Um, certainly our core services are home care and hospice, which are both Medicare and commercially uh, insurance covered. Uh, but it was the other things and it was really about expanding the care that we provided in terms of wound care, IV care, the community benefits offerings and the educational offerings. And we knew together we could really leverage our size to catch um, you know, a, a greater population. And New Hampshire is really aging too. I mean, although we service birth through end of life, you know, the elderly population um, is, um, you know, people aging in place at home, that's where they want to be. And we are seeing, you know, a real boom in the numbers of people who require care at home. Um, from a COVID perspective, so that was twofold. You know, a lot of the hospitals were really overwhelmed with COVID and we were seeing a lot of patients come home with COVID, patients in the community with COVID. But there was also people who had an unmet need because they couldn't get to the doctors or, um, you know, doctors were performing telehealth and then our nurses were going in and therapists and social workers and aides were in, in some respects the only people that a lot of this population saw because their family couldn't visit, they couldn't go do the normal thing. So our staff were really instrumental, I think, in caring for the community. And we really leveraged all of our resources. We kept everybody um, you know, employed during that time and really used people in different ways. So if they were providing a service that we couldn't because of COVID, then we um, deployed them in another way, even just making calls right to talk to our population um, and you know I think we, we heard a lot about the hospitals who were really you know I think put in the middle of the, the, the uh, COVID pandemic but if you can imagine staff who are walking into a home people may may or not have been may masked right it's their home environment it's really choice so it was a really um, uncontrolled environment for them. And in 90 degree weather, they were donning and doffing PPE in parking lots and hallways of apartments. And I think, you know, they were really frontline um, and, and doing, uh, you know, providing care that people would not have gotten otherwise. And so it was great for us. Our roots are in public health. Um, Concord Regional VNA served during the Spanish flu pandemic of you know 1918 so for us 100 year 102 years later here we go again um and i think so that was kind of exciting for us to really head back into the public health world and you know do what our mission really serves us to do so that was great for us so when you you can compare this nationwide as opposed to necessarily mm -hmm. what your own specific numbers yeah. are, but in the hospital and doctor's offices, Dartmouth and such, have been dealing with a tremendous issue with burnout from mm -hmm. this tremendous influx of care that was required through COVID. Are we seeing that same industry shift and in burnout as we exit the pandemic and people begin to question, like, do I want to continue doing this after the pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting. So I do sit on the, the board of the National Association. So this is nationwide. This is not unique. Now, New Hampshire has a really low unemployment rate. So, you know, that we're also dealing with. 
Um, but home health and hospice saw a huge um, exit. Uh, turnover rates for nurses are about 35%. I just received information in New Hampshire, but it's pretty similar you know, nationwide. So we knew prior to the pandemic that we really had an aging workforce. You know, our, our average age, age of nurses, you know, was was in the 50s for our organization. Oh, wow. And so a lot of people really were thinking about retirement. And so, you know, a lot of this launched people into retirement. Um, it also, you know, did, did um, the remote options that nurses have now are huge. And although we are trying to be creative and innovative on how we use technology, you're still delivering personal and face-to-face -face care. And so, you know, as people, saw the opportunities the pandemic was creating, um, you know, they started seeking other things. It's really interesting. I just got a, um, a New Hampshire um, where people went when they left during, the co during COVID. And I just thought this was really interesting. So hospitals and skilled nursing facilities pay more than home health and hospice do traditionally. So we did see an influx to them. People went to um, retail, Amazon, Target and Walmart, you know, our lower waged employees were heading, you know, why should they do that? Fast food. I mean, I've never seen Burger King and Dunkin Donuts and McDonald's come up on the list. Um, it was just really interesting that, you know, of, of a very, a, a much smaller component went to other home health and, and hospice agencies. And that's usually what we saw in New Hampshire. We would move around among our peers. It would be, where are you this week? We saw them leaving the industry and doing other things. If they were being, you know, if they were doing nursing, they were going to the high paid jobs and facilities. Um, but many were leaving doing case management via remote um, telecommunications. So throughout the country, we're seeing the same thing. It's staffing shortages. Um, the other thing that is uh, we're noticing across the country is schools don't have the capacity right now to educate enough nurses. And I know New Hampshire, especially, you know, legislation is, is really being looked at and introduced to increase the capacity in the nursing uh, schools. Because if we don't grow nurses, you know, it's really nursing and LNA. We, we are having more success on the physical therapy, occupational speech therapy, social work side. But if we don't start growing nurses, um, we're just not going to have any. And, you know, we um, have a collaboration of five um, visiting nurse agencies in New Hampshire, and we actually have a nurse residency program. So we can try to engage graduate nurses right out of college and really enjoying public health. Um, and really unique to, to our business is that it's one patient at a time, right? You're not in a facility. So you all, I mean, you know, we all love it when we have a husband and a wife or two family members because it's one-stop shopping for two patients. But, um, you know, it's really one-on-one -on -one care. So it's very personalized and it's just very different. Yeah, I mean, this is, if it's your, if you're primarily seeing a lot of your workforce aging out at this point because they're 50 and up, mm -hmm. I mean, that's a multi-decade uh, flow of incoming nurses issue for sure. I mean, is mm -hmm. this a, seeing this nationwide when it comes to it or is this a lot more of a New yes. England thing? No, it's nationwide. Uh, you know, I think we all talk about exactly the same thing. The issues that I s saw on the New Hampshire workforce survey that I just received were things that we talk at a national level. It's about schooling. It's about wages. 
Uh, it's about people are really burned out. And I think, you know, we have to change how we deliver healthcare. I don't know what that is yet, but, you know, how do we innovate? How do we um, use technology? And, you know, how do we just create different ways of delivering care that will um, build capacity? So, you know, one thing we did at Granite was we hired a nutritionist on staff. Nutrition is not a it's not a covered service under the home health benefit. You don't get added reimbursement for it. But we really felt by adding that expertise we might be able to offload our nurses a little bit so that they could see other patients, right? So we're just trying to look at what other expertise can we bring on to help support the core services that we deliver. And those are the kinds of things that, you know, I think we're able to do because of our size, um, you know, our resources and really look innovatively. Um, Telemonitoring is something we really need to step into. But what are those other things that we can do so that um, people are getting the care they need, uh, but differently? It's I've seen this in education because that's that's my industry. It seems like a lot of nonprofits, people that serve industries that serve people, where they they tend to just lay it on their laurels. Where this is a necessary thing. We're getting enough staff, generally speaking, to do it. And now it seems like like I'm seeing in education, we're like, oh no, this is a business. We need to diversify. We need to realize the holes in our business and how we compete with. I mean, speaking with like hospitals and doctor's offices and such like convenient md with the way they've opened up all over the place completely upset the whole industry on that side right. home health care is right. kind of a different thing but doing telehealth getting people that can maybe assist with nutrition other specializations must be something i'm ho- hoping to see across the nation when it comes to vnas yeah and i you know i think again so I- you know, people need to be responsible with how they use their resources. So, you know, you can't just embed non-reimbursable services because, you know, again, right, you need something to, to pay for the work you do. And we know our reimbursement is decreasing fast, quickly. So home care and hospice has paid its contract rates. We don't set our rates. So, of course, everybody wants to pay less, but wages are increasing you know, tremendously. And so those are our economic pressures. Salaries and wages are the majority of our expenses. Um, so we need to be mindful of that as we innovate also, because we can't just bring on a lot of resources that will be unreimbursed. But we felt nutrition was a direct correlation to the nursing services that we deliver. We also have a community health uh, educator program. So these are um, people who have usually been trained in health education. They're not uh, nurses or uh, therapists. And they work with patients on make, you know, what are their goals? Do they want to walk around the block? Do they want to be able to go food shopping and, and choose healthy foods, right? Because that improves the overall health of the community and, you know, helps people decrease hospitalizations, decrease utilization of services. So, right. So those are the things that we really look at as um, really complementary to the services that we provide from a Medicare traditional health benefit perspective. So say you're out there trying to recruit workers to, to enter this workforce. Hey, what's what do you say to them? Like, is it you get to work with people one on one? You're not stuck in a facility. Are those are the sorts of things you really try and push. Well, so I'm a physical therapist by training. Um, I was a 
home health care PT for many years. So boots on the ground. Uh, I lived it. Um, and so I can also speak to my experience. So I started work in a facility and then I was able to work in home health. You know, I think when you see people in their environment and you really are working towards the things that are important to them. So, you know, when you're in a facility, you have goals. It's very important. Patients want to get home. But sometimes when they get home, all they want to do is be able to, like I said, get the mail or, you know, see the flowers in their garden and to really work them and to be home. Some people just want to watch television, right? And so to work with people in their home, truly with the goals that are important to them, there's nothing like it. You get to know them, you get to know their families, you understand their challenges. And let me tell you, you know, homes can be a challenge, right? Because we all like our homes in a certain way that, functioned before we were ill, may not function now. Um, and so I always found that although I do think the home is probably one of the most difficult settings to work in because it's not confined, um, it's just the most gratifying. You're really seeing people where, they at, where they're at and that's where they want to be, right? Where do you want to be? You want to be at home. You don't want to be in a facility. And so we, and it's a privilege, you know, people invite us into their homes, when they're in a facility, usually they've been there because they're ill or something's happened to them. But when you, you know, you, I always considered it a privilege to be invited into their home and very mindful and respectful of all that they're sharing. And so you can't get that in another environment but home. That's really where you see it. it and it's really where we all want to be. That's what I always say. You know, I, I think we, we, um, it's just special for us to care, and especially at end of life to, you know, to work with a, a client and their family at end of life and have the family together. And we're lucky that we also have the hospice house, but to have them be able to be where they want to be to experience that um, is just, you know, something you can't appreciate unless you do home health care. Yeah, I mean, speaking from personal experience, like my father had uh, really bad cancer that he suffered for three years. But the last couple of months, he was at home with hospice care. Uh, and, and my mom was there with him 24-7. The nurses would come mm -hmm. and actually take a load off of her to, to be right. able to make sure he was comfortable he wasn't stuck somewhere he was able to have family in to visit as much as possible it was well before covid fortunately so we didn't have that hurdle added in but it's mm -hmm. especially as hospice like you don't know how long it's necessarily going to be it, it could be months right right and you know it allows the family to be a family right not a caregiver and so that's what we always say about hospice is when we're there let us be that for you so that you can just be the wife or the or the son or the daughter or the mother and, you know, experience the time you have with your loved one. So, again, you know, it's, it's just something else that you can um, experience with your patient and their families and their homes. Beth Slepian of Granite VNA. We're going to be going into a break right here. If you want to learn more about uh, their business, go to granitevna.org. Uh, they've got a great website that lists all the stuff they do, calendar of events and such. Uh, check that out. Is there anything else for plugging before we go to break you want to give? You know what? We all love what we do, and we're just privileged to serve the community. So I love the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you, AJ. We're going to continue with Beth here in one minute. You're listening to the New England Take on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back to the New England Take and WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get the back episodes of the show as well as all the rest of our programming. You can listen to the show Fridays at 6 p.m. as well as rebroadcast it on WKXL in the morning, which I also host here 6 a.m. on Tuesday mornings. Uh, speaking right now with Beth Slepian of Granite VNA, granitevna.org. Uh, she's the president and CEO of that organization, talking about home health care as well as all the rest of the awesome things they do and the shifting industry that uh, VNAs are experiencing nationwide right now. Uh, as I said before, we're talking about education that's really seeing a shakeup right now when it comes to how, how it's delivered to customers. Are you seeing through COVID, are more patients wanting to have this home health care that they experienced because they didn't have to go to the facilities? Right. So at the beginning, you know, before we really knew what this was about, nobody wanted us in their house. Right. You know, yeah. you went from seeing a lot to Ooh, we don't know about this. So stay away. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there is a huge need. Volume is not volume and need is not the issue. We also know that caring for patients in home and patients also dying with hospice is a much less expensive way to deliver health care. And we all know health care costs are huge. So I think it's a combination of, um, you know, responsible delivery of health care and COVID. People don't want to go into the hospitals. Um, they want their care delivered at home. And so, you know, again, how do we do that? And COVID did drive a lot of that. And we were talking earlier today that COVID has driven about, you know, 10 years of change uh, in the first year, you know, things we always talked about, right, like telehealth and telemonitoring and, you know, that it just forced us in an instant to um, stop trying to think about all the things that could go wrong and just launch into it and fix it as we go. So I do think, you know, COVID was a large driver of where we were going. And no one expected the hospitals to get backed up as much as they were, especially yeah. the Omicron variant came through. I mean, right. that that must have caused a, a large influx in calls for home care. Right. Well, and it was a catch-22, right? Because we all saw with the Omicron is that all of our staff were getting sick, right? It was just this whole new experience. So, yeah, a call for increased volume. Staffing was a challenge. So, um, you know, I think we had an experience where we provide 24-7 coverage and we have, you know, two nurses that cover 5P to 7A and they both came down with COVID. No. Um, you know, everybody stepped in and did it. But, you know, those are the things that, you know, and as also as you spoke about workforce, those are the things that are exhausting people. I'm burning you know people out but yeah you know the volume is really there people need the care they want the care at home we also have seen you know in the news how um, people who had not necessarily received care or sought out care in the last few years you know are sicker um, and so that requires another level of care that we can deliver at home but it's resource intensive and so again how do we staff that safely to help the patients improve how do patients end up working with a VNA? Like, is this something that's set up with their doctors? Is this something the hospitals sort out? Or do they contact directly? It seems like that's not usually how it handles. Yeah. So on our personal home services program, patients can call us directly. It's not a... Um, uh, it's not driven by physician order, but all of our medical services, home health and hospice are driven by physician order or a hospital referral. But again, that would be driven by physician order. And that's regulatory. You know, our core services are very regulatory uh, and rule based. 
Um, so, it, you know, we, we have to work under a physician order. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of other rules that we do follow, but it is. And we have people call us and we let them know you need to call your primary care doctor. Um, and, and we have so many relationships, you know, within the region that it that they know that, you know, the physician's practices, they know that they know who to call. Um, and, you know, they just they want to make sure their patients are getting the care they need. So it, it's not a difficult process. How many VNAs operate in New Hampshire? Like, are, is oh, it you guys, or do you have some uh, ba- some others? I mean, you're the best. I mean, not it's not what I'm saying. Well, but... no, you know what? Um, you know, we have a lot of peers in the neighbor in the in the state, and I, you know, would never, um, you know, talk about who's better than who. Um, certainly, we'd like to think that our staff provide exceptional care, and we're the VNA of choice. Um, but each region really has VNAs, um, and I. I believe uh, there are it's in the mid 30s, the okay. Medicare licensed facilities, but there are a lot of organizations that are provide Medicaid services. There are organizations that just provide choices for independence, which is a program that allows uh, like um, nursing home level of care in the home. Um, we do some of that, but it's again, not our primary service. Um, and then there are a lot of private duty agencies that provide personal home services that are paid for privately. So there's a real spectrum of services offered. So, you know, there, there are hundreds of agencies. It depends what you're looking for, but on the Medicare certified side, I believe it's mid thirties. How do you expect the, um, the future as we come out of the public health emergency? I just last week was speaking with uh, various people in the Navigator program and the New Hampshire Department of Insurance, which is a regular supporter of the show. I'm assuming you've interacted with the Navigators, especially through all this, being working with Medicaid. Uh, do you expect big changes from the Medicaid perspective and the health insurance payers perspective that you're going to have to jump through hoops for and that maybe legislators and such should kind of keep an eye out for? So we have a really um, strong relationship with uh, both state and national uh, representatives. Um, and so we really make sure that our issues, the, the uh, New Hampshire Home Care Hospice and Palliative Care Alliance, um, I sit on their legislative committee and their board, um, you know, they're very much in tune with the payer issues um, and really the challenges we have. So in New Hampshire, we have, you know, I mean, Medicaid is a challenge. Uh, we all know that you know we all need higher rates. It's just the reality of it. And you know there there are um, l- limits to that, right? And through the pandemic, you know I think the state has tried to support us. But as we come out of the pandemic and we don't have the American um, Relief Act, you know we don't have those opportunities for grant funding. We have to figure out, right, as we have raised wages, how are we going to make ends meet to care for the patients? Because it's really our community that suffers. Um, And so I I think that's really important to understand. Our um, federal uh, delegation is very supportive, you know, working with the Medicare rules. So there were a lot of... um, waivers that came into place for us and how we deliver care during the pandemic. And right now we're working on, you know, really what are the most important things to continue. So for example, prior to the pandemic, nurse practitioners 
could not order home care services. It had to be a physician. And during the waiver, they were given more privileges. And so we're trying to make sure, because that helps access, right? You know, nurse practitioners can help people access care. Um, telehealth, right? It was really more allowed during the pandemic, not as much for home care and hospice, but we need that. Um, and so how do we make some of the, the waivers that came through because of the pandemic hold fast so that we can really benefit in how we delivered care. Of course, it's all data-driven. They wanna see the outcomes. Uh, and so that takes years, unfortunately, to have the data you need. But we really work very closely with both the state and the federal uh, legislators and delegation to make sure they understand the challenges that we're really having. So I do think when we come out on the other side, uh, Medicare you know, lowers its payment every year. Uh, that is the reality. Uh, so we we have always been able to accommodate to that at, at one point, you know, when can't you? Um, and then, you know, commercial payers, too. Right. So it's really about cost of care. They want to be efficient. They want low cost care. So, again, we have to really be innovative in how we deliver care. So we meet those needs um, and, you know, volume helps us as it helps everybody. Right. Um, but if you have one nurse, they can only see, you know, five patients a day. So volume doesn't get us to seven because you, you can't do that. I want, you know, in my career, I remember the day I saw eight patients and, um, you know, it's hard for them at the end. It, you know, they're driving a lot. They're seeing patients and it's tiring. So we just have to be mindful of the workforce because they can't do it. We need to protect our workforce. And so, again, how do you balance volume and scale? What's the career path for someone that's, say, they're in high school right now, they're considering entering the healthcare field? I mean, are there opportunities for high schoolers, for example, to kind of learn about the industry? Do they yeah. need to be in, uh, like, what's the volume of uh, college education that's expected or post or secondary education that's expected? Right. So there is, it runs the gamut. So most um, high schools have technical programs in their, um, in their schools. I was just talking to a colleague today whose 16-year-old daughter is going into the health profession. Um, you know, tech uh, coursework in high school. And it introduces you to healthcare and shows you everything that there is available to you. So you can um, at 18 become an LNA, licensed nursing assistant, and go through the program and learn the ropes. Um, and, you know, I think I, I would always encourage, we really encourage education and have education benefits. So LNA to licensed practical nurse to a registered nurse, right? And then you can move up into bachelor's level, master's level. But, you know, you, again, you know, um, there are um, associate degree programs for nursing. It really runs the gamut depending on what you want to do. And then within there, you can be a wound care specialized nurse. You know, you can decide. I think the it's your opportunities are endless um, from a nursing perspective in terms of number of years of degree. When you get into the therapies, um, speech is a, a master's level, uh, OT, um, and, and OT is a master's level. PT is a doctorate level program now, so it's six or seven years, uh, and then you come out. So, you know, I think you have to really take the time to spend time in an environment, understand what the occupation is, because for some of them, you're really making a huge both financial commitment 
and um, time commitment. Uh, you know, when you work for a nonprofit, there are loan, some loan forgiveness programs. I think that's really important for people to investigate. They vary, you know, state to state, organization to organization, but uh, the opportunities are endless. And I do think that, you know, we're trying to uh, teach people the joys of healthcare and community-based care at an earlier age, we're really trying to also get embedded in some of the nursing programs in the state because they don't learn about community-based care as much, right? They all want to go work on a med search floor, which they need that experience. It, it, it gives them a knowledge base that they need. But how do you learn that, you know, there are joys in healthcare outside of a facility? And so we're really trying to do that. And, and we do find that pe when people step into the community health world, it's different. And so um, they, they enjoy it and some people don't, right? Some people really wanna work in a facility environment that's shift-based, that's seven to three and you know, they go home, they know what to expect. So um, I would really suggest at, at any age, really, um, you know, it's at 16, 17, 18, you know, you volunteer, you learn what people are doing. Most professionals I know are happy to talk about what they do. Like I said, I love talking about physical therapy. Um, I, when somebody asks me what I do, I always say I'm a physical therapist, first and foremost. So, you know, I think that's how you teach people that there are opportunities for them to pursue. And like I said, with nursing, two years, four years, 20 years, you know, you can really choose your path. Yeah, it seems like people always think when they think home health care, they think like like just someone that's there just quickly take care of it, change out the tanks or something like that. And there, there's a lot yeah. more mobility career-wise, fortunately, which mm -hmm. is definitely a big uh, plus if you want to go into this industry. Right. I mean, you can talk to me. I I didn't expect to be the CEO of Granite VNA when I was uh, a field clinician. So, so you never know. <laughs> That's right. You do never know. I'm here talking on the radio at 35. I didn't think this would happen. Uh, the, uh, so um, with telehealth, how how does your company handle that? Like, are, are people doing it on their own? Or are they going to a facility to do it? Yeah, so we don't have an organized telehealth program right now. I mean, we do have secure ways of communicating with um, patients, but because home health and hospice hasn't really um, embraced it, um, it, it has embraced it, I shouldn't say that, but we had a program that we just didn't felt, feel meet the needs. And so what we really want to do, we just went under on a new electronic health record implementation to bring both organizations together. And now we're really looking to hire um, a telehealth coordinator who, great opportunity, I'll do a plug, to develop a program um, and, and really launch it. Um, and there will be remote opportunities in that. So there we go. Uh, and so we really want it to be at a scale that will impact our, um, our community. We had 35 units in the field you know, with an organization our size, that's a drop in the bucket. And so we really hope that um, we can launch it um, very, not soon, it's going to take us a while, but hire that person who can really uh, propel us into the next step. There are other organizations in the state who have really successful telemonitoring. So it's telemonitoring for us because we're just monitoring and we're not doing um, yeah, like the, the nurses virtual are right around the corner, division. so they got to be able to yeah. remote in and see what's going on from wherever right. they're in and the state. 
Right, and we will deploy nurses um, into the field, right, if a patient's not doing well. And so there's a whole combination of we get data from the unit. Um, there also can be a visit. Uh, so there, there are a lot of components that we're trying to work through. But I have several peers who have really successful telemonitoring program, and it's really helped them. So in COVID, they only needed to send a nurse maybe once a week because they could remote in and see how the patients were doing. So it really, again, allowed them, you know, a, a little more flexibility in how they cared for that population. It's technology. Kind of yeah, and it's kind of also waiting for the bandwidth to get to where it needs to be, especially in the North Country, right. yeah. get in the Lakes region. Right. I mean, I'm in Concord, and I'm, I see the fiber line right outside my apartment, and I'm like, you better hook that damn thing up soon because I'm getting frustrated at this cable internet. Right, and we um, service, um, you know, out in the western part of the state. So, you know, we go to, um, you know, Washington and Newbury, and our staff sometimes don't have any cell service out there too. So, um, yeah. That is part of the problem in rural New Hampshire. It, it, I mean, is telehealth right now like the, the big future advancement you're seeing in the VNA industry? Are there other things that uh, people that are interested in what's going on with the industry or maybe are considering the fields maybe have something to look forward to with uh, VNA five, ten years from now? Yeah, I think telemonitoring is a big step from a technology perspective. Um, you know, for us, what we would really like to see is really advance our staff in terms of opportunity and skill. Um, so we do have uh, certified IV nurses. We do have certified wound care nurses. We'd like to have more. We have certified lymphedema therapists. We'd like to have more. And, you know, we'd also like to, on the hospice side, you know, we have certified palliative and hospice nurses. We'd like to really understand what the workforce wants to learn yeah. and really um, encourage that work because that's how we build a workforce that will stay with us and will be happy about the work they do. If we use too much technology, we, we lose some of that interface. But I think for me, you know, the innovation really comes to how do we, um, recruit and retain and, and really um, understand the needs of the workforce. That's our future. And that's what we all have to do for the next few years. There are little things. I mean, telehealth isn't a little thing. Telemonitoring isn't a little thing. But, you know, we're still delivering one-on-one -on -one care. And that has to be our priority. And, and how do we build capacity? So what are the ideas that we can implement using people and technology. But I think for us, the real importance is engaging our workforce, you know, bringing joy at work with, with, with everything they do and providing opportunities to learn. I think that's how you keep your workforce and encourage others to come. To encourage people to check out granitevna.org, I see calendar of events and such on there. What can people expect to see if they visit there? So if they visit our website, um, they will see, um, you know, what's new for us, right? It used to always have our COVID information, uh, still does. Um, but there's also a calendar of our community events. So they are uh, free offerings for community education. We encourage you. Jobs are always there. Um, there are testimonials. So you can see um, how our um, uh, community and, you know, our patients feel about us. 
There's always an opportunity for philanthropy and giving on the site. Uh, we are a nonprofit and always appreciate that. Um, but it just tells us, who, and you can see our community served. Um, when you see the map, it's bigger than you think. Um, and like I said, if we could get across the lake easily, it would just make it all easier. But we got to go around. So that's uh, that's how we travel. Um, but it tells a lot about us. And um, we'd you know, love for you to take a look at it and learn more about us. Beth Slepian, President and CEO of Granite VNA. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. It's a great conversation. I really appreciate it. If you missed any part of this episode, check out nhtalkradio.com. You can get the podcast version. Video version will be pasted is going to be posted right on our Facebook page, New England Take, as well as NH Talk Radio. Uh, definitely suggest you check it out. This was. Uh, Beth Slepian, President and CEO of Granite VNA. GraniteVNA.org if you want to learn more. This has been the New England Take in WKXL.